this morning we are continuing our study in the essentials, uh, and this morning we are going to study the essential of worship. Uh, you noticed as we sang that that was a central theme of a lot of the songs that we sang, of every song that we sang, was of worship, of worship of God. Now, the, the title of the lesson is The Essential of Worship. It is not, as I teased a couple of weeks ago, uh, Hand Raising 101. Um, so whenever I got the worship, I thought, well, that'd be funny to... We're going to talk about how to dance in aisles and things like that. No, we're not going to do that. We are going to talk about worship. We're going to talk about the essential of worship. And I'm going to kind of give a little bit of an introduction and just kind of talk a little bit about it very quickly. We've really got four main points that we're going to cover. Um, the term worship uh, can be taken and looked at a couple of different ways. Um, it, it, it can be applied in two terms. It sometimes applies to all of a Christian's life. Everything that we do as a believer is, in essence, worship to God. Um, it should be. Um, everything that we do is an act of worship. Everything that the church does is an act of worship. Everything we collectively do is an act of worship to God. So it can be collectively um, or everything that we do. The term worship also is used in a more specific sense, uh, referring to the music and the words and the heart attitude that we have towards God on a personal basis. Um, it's a Christian's direct praise and worship, uh, and then together praising and worship, uh, worshiping Him. Uh, that is talked about and used as the term worship. And we're going to focus more on that aspect of it, even though a lot of what we talk about this morning applies to both aspects of worship. Everything that we do is worship and our corporate worship and our individual worship. Now, one thing to keep in mind as we walk through this is every single person in this room is a worshiper. Every single person is a worshiper. Now, not every single person is a worshiper of God, but we are all worshipers of something. Uh, the desire and purpose of, that God has for us as called, redeemed people is to worship Him. But there's a lot of times that our worship is not directed at God. Our worship is directed at other people, at things, at ourselves. These are called idols. These are idols that we put our focus and our worship towards. That word worship is the feeling or expression of reverence and adoration towards someone or something. That's what worship is. Worship as a believer is the activity of glorifying God in his presence with our hearts and with our voices. That's what worship is and should be to God. So, A is the definition and purpose of worship. A is the definition and purpose of worship. I'll say it again. Worship is the activity of glorifying God in his presence with our hearts and our voices. 
in this definition, we note that worship is an act of glorifying God. That's what worship is. Um, Worship is glorifying God. Worship is not doing something that makes me feel comfortable. Doing something that I personally would choose to do above all other things. It is an act of worship. It is an act of reverence. It is putting him first. Our natural sin nature says, I want to put myself first. That's what our natural sin nature says and drives us towards. But it is instead putting the act of worship on him. Our focus and glorifying him. That's what it is. So, all aspects of our lives are supposed to glorify God, so this definition specifies that worship is something that we do, we do especially when, when we come into God's presence, when we are conscious of the adoration of Him in our hearts, and when we praise Him with our voices and speak about Him so others may hear. That's what it is. That's what worship truly is. Paul encouraged the Christians in, in Colossians 3.16 when he says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Teach and admonish one another in all wisdom and sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. That was his encourage to them. In fact, the primary reason that God called us into the assembly of the church is so that we corporately could worship him. Um, There was a theologian, Edmund Clowney, that he said... God demanded of Pharaoh, let my people go. For what purpose? So that they may worship me in the desert. That was God's desire and God's purpose. I want them, let my people go so that they may come worship me. God brings them out so that he might bring them in uh, to an assembly, to the great company, to stand before his face. God assembled, uh, God's assembly at Sinai is therefore the immediate goal of the Exodus. God brings his people into his presence that they might hear his voice and worship him. That's what God wanted to do with bringing them out of Egypt. But Clowney, in his commentary, he went on to talk about the fact that that worshiping assembly in Mount Sinai could not last forever. So what God did is God established certain festivals and certain times of the year that they would come together corporately to worship him. Um, they did that three times a year. He says that Israel, uh, Israelites as a nation formed uh, for worship called to assemble in the courts of the Lord and to praise together the name of the Most High. But rather than worshiping God in a unified holy assembly, the people turned aside to serving idols. And rather than assembling the people to worship before him in judgment, God scattered the people in exile. But God promised that his purposes for his people would be fulfilled. God desired to be worshiped because of who he is. And we're going to get into that a little bit more. And that someday there would be a great assembly of those that believed in him coming together to worship. Isaiah talks about that, tons of verses. Jeremiah talks about that, tons of verses. And we don't have time to go into all those. But God promised this is going to happen. My people will come and they will worship me. And that's part of what eternity is going to be with God in heaven. Um, 
Clowney notes <clears throat> that the fulfillment of that promise began when Jesus started to build his church. The gospel that Jesus was spreading is a call to worship. It's a call to turn from sin and to call upon the name of the Lord. That's what worshiping is. It's turning from sin and calling on the name of the Lord. That's part of what the gospel, that's what the gospel is. The picture of the church is a worshiping assembly. <clears throat> a worshiping assembly is uh, nowhere more powerfully presented than by the author of the epistle of Hebrews. In Hebrews 12, verses 18 through 29, it talks about in our worship in Christ's church, we approach the throne of God, the judge of all. We enter into a festival assembly of all the saints and angels. We gather in spirit with the spirits of just men made perfect. We enter the assembly of the glory through Christ, our mediator, and the blood of his atoning death. That's what's talked about in Hebrews. That's what worshiping is. That's what we are called to do. That's what God desires from us. Worship is therefore a very direct expression of our ultimate purpose for living, to glorify God and to fully enjoy him forever. That's what our purpose is. As a believer, that's what we are to be about, glorifying God and enjoying him forever. God speaks about us as his sons and daughters. Those that are saved, the redeemed, he talks about as his sons and daughters. Isaiah 43, verses 6 and uh, 7 talk about that uh, as Everyone who is called by my name, who I created for my glory, whom I have formed and made. God created us. He created you and I for his glory. That's why he created us. So part of his creation of us was so that we could worship him. We could glorify him for who he is. Paul uses that same type of language in Ephesians 1.12 when he says, We who first hoped in Christ have been destined and appointed to live for the praise of his glory. That's our purpose. When we reflect on that purpose of worship, it also reminds us that God is worthy of worship and we are not. God is worthy of worship, but we are not. We have to remember that. Even the Apostle John had to be reminded of that in Revelation 22 when the angel of the Lord uh, told him that he should not worship, not even a powerful angel, when he fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed him the marvelous visions and all the things in Revelation uh, in verse 22, verses 8 9, he fell down to worship the angel and the angel said, you must not do that emphatically stopped him, and he said, worship God. He pointed all praise and adoration to God and to God alone. That is because God is jealous for his own honor, and he rightly seeks that honor. God is our creator and our sustainer. He owns us. He created us. So it is right that we worship him and that he is due that worship. He says in Isaiah, uh, in Exodus 25, I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. 
I created you, I sustain you, I created you for my purposes. This is what I desire. I desire to be worshiped, to be glorified through you. That's what I desire. He says in Isaiah 48, 11, my glory I will not give to another. We should tremble with fear when we rob God of his glory. When we do not worship him, when we do not glorify him with our thoughts and our words and with our actions. And we should rejoice that it is right that God seeks his own honor and be jealous for ours, our attention uh, for his honor. Because he is worthy of that honor. Because God is worthy of worship and seeks to be worshipped, everything in our personal worship and in our worship services should be designated and carried out in full, uh, out not to call attention to ourselves, but to bring uh, glory, or to bring glory to ourselves, but to call attention to God and to glorify him. That's what we should do in our personal and corporate worship. That's what we're to be about. So A was kind of a definition and purpose of worship. God created worship. He created us to worship him. He created worship itself. He calls us to worship, and it's glorifying him. That's what we're to be about. So A was the definition and purpose of worship. B is the results of genuine worship. When we worship... What are the results? Um, When we worship God in the sense that is described above about glorifying him for who he is, truly giving him glory in our hearts and with our voices, several things happen as a result that are shown in Scripture. This list may not be all-inclusive, but these things are definitely shown. Number one, we delight in God. We delight in God. So B was the results of genuine worship. Number one is we delight in God. God created us not only to glorify him, but also to enjoy and delight in his excellence. That's what God created us for. We probably experience delight in God more fully in worship than in any other activity that we take place, uh, that we participate in, in this life. Pardon me. Um, David confessed in Psalm 27, 4, he says, one thing, the one thing that I want to focus on, that he will seek for above all else is that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Why? To behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. That is the one thing. That, Davis, that David desired more than anything else, that I might be able to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life and to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple, to learn more about him, who he is. That was his desire. He also says in Psalm 1611, in your presence there is fullness of joy. In your right hand are pleasures forevermore. He knew that his delight, his true delight, what brought him true joy 
was found only in God. And God fulfills that. Asaph in Psalm 73, 25 says, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing upon earth that I decide, desire beside you. That's what he wanted. Um, Psalm 84 says, How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yea, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. That's the heart attitude that we're to have. And when we worship, we are delighting in God. We are getting to delight in God. The early church knew that that type of joy in worship when it says in Acts, 20, uh, Acts 2, verse 46, it says, Day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they partook of food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. There is joy that God gives in delighting in him. God prompts that. God gives that. That's what he does for us. Um, in fact, right after Jesus' ascension, in Luke 24, it says that uh, after he had entered into heaven, the disciples returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. They were with great joy continually in the temple blessing God. Of course... Uh, that type of continual praise cannot last forever in this age. Why? Because we have to go to school. We have to go to work. We have to get up and, you know, deal with siblings that frustrate us and parents that don't understand what I'm going through, even though we do understand what you're going through because we all went through it the same. So we live in a life that we go, hey, I have a lot of things going on, but I'm to continually worship, I'm to continually praise. That's to be our heart attitude in everything that we do. Because God knows that you gotta go to school and he knows that I have to go to work and that we have things to tend to. There's weeds to pull and there's grass to mow and there's things that have to be done. But we can continually delight in God with our heart attitude. Um, so, number one was we delight in God. Number two is God delights in us. God delights in us. That's the second result of genuine worship. What does God do when we worship him? The amazing truth of scripture is that at the creation, uh, is that as the creation glorifies God, he also takes delight in it. God delights in our worship. When God first made the universe, he looked on it with delight and he said it was good. It was good, his creation. Genesis 1.31, it was good. God takes special delight in human beings whom he has created and whom he has redeemed because he loves us so much. His love for us is unmatched. He desires a relationship with us. 
so much so that he was willing to give his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to die on a cross to provide a way of justification for a sinful people that hate him and reject him and completely focus on ourselves. He says, I want to redeem you because I love you so much. I desire to have a relationship with you. And I want you to be involved daily in a relationship with me where you are worshiping me and glorifying me. He desires that. And we're like, eh, eh, I, I'm gonna, I need to watch Sports Center for the second time today. I need to be involved in what I want to think about and do. He desires that, and God delights in us. He delights in us. That's an amazing thing to think about and a concept that God, the creator of all the universe, that knows every grain of sand, every blade of grass, every breath of every animal, every movement and thought and attitude and heart and action of every human being that lives, has lived, or ever will live, he desires a relationship with me. And with you. That's an amazing thing. Isaiah 62 verse 3 says that you shall be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord. You shall be called my delight is in her. For the Lord delights in you. As the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall God rejoice over you. What an amazing thing for God to say about you and I. He delights in us. He has joy in us. Zephaniah, in Zephaniah 3.17, says, The Lord your God is in your midst, a warrior who gives victory. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will renew you in his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. That's what God feels about you and I. The truth should bring great encouragement to us. It should bring confidence and joy and a return reverence and glorying in him. That's what it should do in us. For that love that he has for us is so deep that we should return with worship to him, that he would be willing to do that. So number two is God delights in us. Number three is we draw near to God. We draw near to God. That's a result of worshiping him. So this is very simple, and everybody in here knows this for the most part. We're going to talk real quickly about the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. In the Old Covenant, believers could only draw near to God in a limited way through temple ceremonies, the Old Testament. In fact, most of the people in Israel could not enter the temple itself but had to remain in the courtyard. Even the priests had to go only into the outer courtyard, court of the temple, the holy place, when it was their appointed duty. And only one time a year, the high priest alone could go into the holy, holy of holies. One time a year. Hebrews 9, verses 1 through 7 talk about that. That was how we, in the Old Covenant, 
worshipped God, how we approached God. Then Jesus came, and he fulfilled all of the Old Testament prophecies, and he brought about a redemption for people through his life, death, burial, and resurrection. So now we enter into the new covenant. Now under the new covenant, believers have the amazing privilege of being able to enter directly into the Holy of Holies at any moment of any day at any time. We have that opportunity. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, if you are a saved individual, you have direct access to the throne of God. The same that the high priest one day of year would enter into the Holy of Holies. Why? Why do we have that access? Because God is viewing us through the blood of Jesus Christ. He is viewing us as he views his own son. If you are in Christ, you are viewed by God as his very own son, Jesus Christ. What an amazing thing. And so when we worship, we have direct access to the throne of Christ, a throne of God. Since we have that confidence to enter in the very presence of God, Hebrews encourages us in Hebrews 10:22, let us draw near with a true heart, full in full assurance of faith. We can draw near with a true heart because our heart has been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ and in full assurance because we stand in his presence being viewed as Christ himself is viewed by the Father because we stand in him. Now, if you are not in Christ, God does not view you that way. He loves you. He desires a relationship with you. But he does not view you that way because you stand in your sin completely, and that's what God sees. The only way to have that access is to be in Christ. That's it. Worship in the New Testament church is not simply practicing for some later heavenly experience of genuine worship, nor is it simply pretending or going through some outward activities. It is genuine worship in the presence of God himself when we worship, when we enter before his throne. So when we sing together in here, we are singing the mindset to have, the attitude to have, and this is an encouragement for me and for you. The attitude that we should have is that when we open, when we stand up and we sing, we are entering into the throne room of God. And we are praising him in person. That should be our heart attitude and our minds. Not how many songs are we going to sing? I think somebody was off key. Who's singing behind me? Do I smell donuts? Do we, I mean, our minds can go, what time does the game start? 
What's the temperature going to be when I go to the driving range this afternoon? We can all have those things. Our focus should be on we are standing before God himself, and I am here to praise and glorify and worship him. When I teach, I am worshiping. When you listen and learn, you are worshiping. When we go to big church and Pastor Tom preaches, we are in worship before God. When we sing, we are in worship before God. That's where our minds should be. That's because that's truly where we are. This is the reality of the new covenant worship. It, It actually is worship in the presence of God. No, we don't see him and we don't see the throne. We don't see the angels around him singing, holy, 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 Lord God almighty. We don't physically see that. Um, We don't see the spirits of all the believers that are currently in heaven praising and worshiping him. We don't physically see that, but we are there. Our worship is evident before the throne of God. It's all there. It's all real, more real and permanent, actually, than anything that is on this earth now. Because everything on this earth now will go away. It will disintegrate. It will be destroyed at some point. But that will not. It is all there. It is all real, more real and permanent than the physical creation we see around us, which will someday be destroyed. Our only appropriate response in this is, according to Hebrews 12, 28, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. So that was number three. Number four is God draws near to us. Another result of genuine worship. God draws near to us. James tells us, Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you, James 4.8. This has been the pattern of God's dealing with his people throughout the Bible, and we should be confident that that is the way he deals with us today. In the Old Testament, when God's people began to praise him at the dedication of the temple, he descended and made himself known in their midst. Um, 2 Chronicles 5.13 says, When the song was raised with trumpets and cymbals and other musical instruments in praise to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever, the house, the house of the Lord was filled with a cloud so that the priests could not stand to minister because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the house of God. Um, though this only speaks of one specific incident, of when people were praising and glorifying him and he entered their midst. In the new covenant, in that we are in the presence of God, when we worship, we can know that God is drawing near to us because we are before his throne. God is drawing near to us. Now, uh, the charismatics take this and play games with it. Um, I don't know if you've ever watched any of these documentaries or seen these things that they will sprinkle dust and blow clouds into a conference and say, oh, there's the Holy Spirit right there. There's God's presence. Um, No, that's not what is truly happening. It's trying to elicit some type of emotional response out of people. 
but God draws near to us when we worship. David says in Psalm 22, 3, Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. He draws near to us. So we're going to move kind of quickly. Number four was God draws near to us. Number five is God ministers to us. God ministers to us. Although the primary purpose of worship is to glorify God, the Scripture teaches that in worship something also happens to us. We ourselves are built up or and edified. That's something that happens for us. And it happens through two ways normally, through fellow saints. When we worship together, uh, to some extent this happens, of course, when we learn from the Bible teachings that are given, when Pastor Tom teaches and you hear the truth of God's Word in worship together, we're edified, we're encouraged. That happens through fellow saints. When Justin or myself or anybody teaches the truth of God's Word that can edify us and encourage us, that's happening through fellow saints. Um, Paul says uh, in 1 Corinthians 14, let all things be done for edification. And he says that we are to, according to Colossians 3.16, to teach and admonish uh, one another in all wisdom. That's part of worshiping together. We're to teach and to admonish one another. Um, and that we're to be addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, building up, encouraging each other in the truth of God's word. That's what we're to do. And that happens through fellow saints. God ministers to us. Um, but then God does it also through personal edification. For us personally, in addition to the edification that comes from uh, growth and understanding of the Bible and hearing words of encouragement from others, there's also the kind of edification that occurs in worship personally. When we worship, God meets with us directly and ministers to us, strengthening our faith, intensifying our awareness of His presence granting refreshment to our spirits. That's what God does. He builds us up. He encourages us. Peter says uh, in 1 Peter 2, 5, that as Christians, we are continually coming to Christ in worship and prayer and faith and that we are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. That's what he is doing for us. Um, Hebrews 4.16, when we come to worship, we come into God's presence in a very special way, and we, uh, and we may expect that, we will meet, uh, that He will meet us there and minister to us as we draw near, Hebrews 4.16, as we draw near to the throne of grace, we will receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That's what God does for us. He ministers uh, to us through worship. Um, during genuine worship, we will often uh, experience an intensification of the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit in us. God is sanctifying us through worship, purifying us through worship. Um, he's changing us, according to 2 Corinthians 3.18, from one degree of glory to another. That's what he's doing. He's changing us from one degree of glory to another. Um, lastly... Number six is the, Lord, the Lord's enemies flee. Now, we see examples of this in Scripture. Um, when the people of Israel began to worship God, at times uh, would, he would fight for them against their enemies. Um, in 2 Chronicles 
20, when the Moabites, Edomites, and Syrians came against Judah, King Jehoshaphat sent out a choir praising God in front of the army. See, Josiah didn't know that he was going to be at the front of the army this morning, going in with his guitar and voice. It says, He appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise Him in holy array as they went before the army. And when they began to sing and praise, the Lord set an ambush against the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah so that they were routed. Now, Similarly, in, in the same way, God, when God's people offer worship today, we can expect the Lord will batter, battle for us. Why? Because our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of darkness of this world. God, uh, God is fighting for us against Satan. Satan has set himself against us as believers. He seeks to destroy us, to destroy our testimony, to destroy our worship to destroy our witness. He seeks to destroy all that. And when we worship God, he goes before us and fights those battles for us. Does it mean that we're always going to win? No, doesn't mean that we're always going to win. But we can know that when we are worshiping him, when we are putting our focus on him, that he is going to cause our enemies to flee. So, uh, C, and this will be very, so B was the results of genuine worship, and we had six points there. C is the eternal value of worship. The eternal value of worship. Because worship glorifies God and fulfills the purpose for which God created us, it is an activity of eternal significance and great value. That's what it is. When Paul cautions the Ephesians not to waste time, I thought this was very interesting, not to waste their time, but to use it well. He puts it in this context of living as those who are wise. When he says, look carefully then, in Ephesians 5, 15, he says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of time. Why? Because the days are evil. We live in evil times and we live in a sin-filled world, but we're to make the most of time. We're to be wise. Paul then explains what it is to be wise and what it is to make the most of time in verses 17 through 20. And this is what he says. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart, always and for everything, giving thanks in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God the Father. Doing those things is being wise and making the most of our time because we are doing what God has created us for, glorifying Him. Therefore, in the context of using wise, uh, time wisely and making the most of our time, Paul includes both singing of spiritual songs, psalms to one another, and singing to the Lord with our hearts. That's amazing that that's using our time wisely. This means that worship is doing the will of God. When we worship, we are doing God's will. 
Worship is the result of understanding what the will of the Lord is. It is making the most of our time. In addition, because God is eternal and He's omniscient and He remembers everything and He knows everything, the praise that we give Him will never fade from His conscience. Never. But will continue to bring delight to His heart for all eternity. That's an amazing thing. God will remember our genuine praise and worship forever. Um, if you have an iPhone, I don't know if any other phone does this, and if you have photos, uh, yesterday I, was, I, I opened my phone, and it has at the top a, you know, hey, a little memory photo will pop up. And I looked at it, and it was Mandy and I from 10 years ago. And we were like, it was January the 4th, and I think we were at the, Nash, or at the Cotton Bowl or something, it looked like somebody was holding a trophy behind us, like on the big screen at Jerry World. And I was looking at that, and I was like, man, my hair was dark. And man, my hair is a lot lighter. But it was interesting, or it's a lot lighter today. Uh, it's because I'm getting to be an old man. just the way it happens. So I was sitting there looking at that, and I was like, man, that is cool that that memory is, pops up, and that I see that from 10 years ago. And... Um, like photos on our phone that pop up and we have that memory, God has that forever. That photo will go away. That, it'll be gone. That, I may lose that. I don't know, my iCloud. I don't even know how iClouds work, but all that stuff may go away someday. But God will remember our worship and our praise for all eternity. That's something that whenever everything is burned up, that will not burn up. That lasts forever. Uh, so lastly, D is how can we enter into genuine worship? How can we enter into genuine worship? And this is our application, these points. Number one, not with just your body, but with your spirit. Not with just your body, but with your spirit. Ultimately, worship is a spiritual activity, and it must be empowered by the Holy Spirit working within us. This means that we must pray that the Holy Spirit will enable us to worship rightly. We are incapable in and of ourselves, but the Holy Spirit can encourage us and prompt us and move us to, to worshiping correctly. The fact that genuine worship is to be carried out uh, carried on in the, the unseen spiritual realm is evident in Jesus' words in John 4, 23. He says, The hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such the Father seeks to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. To worship in spirit and truth, uh, the word spirit does not refer to the Holy Spirit, but to the human spirit. Jesus' point here is that a person must worship not simply by external, external conformity to religious rituals and places outwardly, but inwardly in our hearts, in our spirits, with a proper right heart attitude. That's what God's looking at. Not if you're standing and sitting at the right times and reading the certain things at the certain time during the service. He's looking at our hearts. The reference to truth refers to worship of God consistent with the revealed scripture and centered on the word made flesh, which was Jesus Christ. 
that's what worshiping in spirit and truth is. Unless our spirits are worshiping God, we are not truly worshiping Him. That's where it starts. So, number one is not just with your body, but with your spirit. Number two, with the correct view of who God is. With the correct view of who God is. The attitude of worship comes upon us when we begin to see God as He is and then respond to His presence. It's kind of like seeing a famous athlete, for me. For you, it might not be that. Um, it's like seeing a famous athlete. If uh, Scotty Scheffler walked in here right now, I'd be like, oh, Scotty Scheffler's here. And you guys are like, who, who is Scotty Scheffler? Like, who is that? I mean, he's currently number two in the FedEx point standings in golf, and the guy is amazing golfer. I would be so excited. You, a lot of you guys would be like, I don't know who that is. I, somebody would walk in, no one would even pay attention. When we go into worship, we need to remember who we are worshiping. We need to be mindful of the God that we are coming before. And the more that we know about God and who he is, which we receive that information as we study God's word, as we understand who he is, as we develop ourselves fully in who God is, it increases our ability to worship and our excitement and our knowing who, who we're before. If you didn't know who it was, if who, who he is, you're not going to be that excited about worship. Genuine worship is not something that is self-generated or that can be worked up within ourselves. It must rather be an outpouring of our hearts in response to a realization of who God is. Number three, with a heart prepared to worship. We must remember that worship is a spiritual matter and the primary solutions will therefore be spiritual ones. There will need to be as much prayer and preparation for worship, especially on the part of those in leadership, asking that God will bless the worship times and make himself known to us. We've got to prepare our hearts for worship. You don't just walk in. I mean, if you, I use a golf analogy. I'm, I like to golf, but here's what happens. If I go up there and start swinging before I stretch at this point in my life, I'm going to be in pain. I've got to prepare properly to be able to go out and play golf. Or my hamstrings get tight, my back gets tight, and it's sore, and my knees hurt, and all kinds of old man stuff. Um, I have to prepare. We need to prepare our hearts for worship before we come in here. That needs to be our attitude. Um, Number four, and lastly... Daily striving for personal holiness. Daily striving for personal holiness. If we are truly to draw near to God in worship, we must be striving for personal holiness in our lives. The author of Hebrews reminds the believers to strive for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord in Hebrews twelve fourteen, We need to strive for personal holiness to go in before the throne of God to worship. So, there's just a look at worship, and I lastly want to remind you of what I said at the beginning. 
Everyone in this room is a worshiper. Every single person. The question is, is who are you worshiping? Are you putting your heart and your mind and your attitude towards God? Or is it towards an idol, which is yourself or something or someone other than God? Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you that as we pray right now, we are before your throne. Father, we thank you that we have access to your throne because of the blood of Jesus Christ, because of his life, death, burial, and resurrection, and those that have clung to that truth and are redeemed are standing before you. Father, we thank you that you give us access, that you desire and delight in us, and that you desire a relationship with us, and that you give us opportunity to worship you and praise you, and that's something that lasts for all eternity. Father, we thank you that you encourage us and guide us and direct us by the indwelling of your Holy Spirit. We pray that you would teach us to worship you at all times, in every way, through everything that we do, that we would be doing it as unto you. Father, we commit this time to you and pray that you'd use it to your ultimate glory. In Jesus' name, amen.